Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Our thanks to Adams Road Band for that musical introduction. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we've been looking at the Come, Follow Me curriculum that is given to members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's supposed to help them better understand their doctrine and or history. We're looking at the first week of 2022. Latter-day Saints are supposed to be studying the Old Testament during the year 2022. And what's interesting and I think very glaring is the fact that when they start this particular lesson, they jump out of the Old Testament and right into two unique works of Mormonism, and that would be the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham. And the reason we're covering this this week is because we are doing a series of reviews throughout the year of 2022 on each of the chapters that are done. So uh, this is the first chapter, December 27th through January 2. The title is Moses 1 and Abraham 3, and that's what we've been discussing this week. But if you want to see our reviews, you can go to mrm.org slash come follow me with the uh, hyphens between each of the words, or you can go to the bottom of the main page, and there's a link there at the bottom as well. Now, I think it's important for us as outsiders to understand what our friends and neighbors are learning in their church if they are members of the LDS Church. And naturally, since this is supposed to be an Old Testament study, and they start off by citing and giving a lot of credence to the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham, it helps to better understand what the Book of Moses and the Book of Abraham really is. In fact, I wonder how many new members in the LDS Church that are going to be going through this curriculum in 2022, how much their grasp is of these two books. Now, it will explain in this lesson, down towards the bottom, under the subheading, how did we get the book of Moses and Abraham? And it has a link to the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible. Now, why is that important? Because Joseph Smith's inspired version of the Bible, or the Joseph Smith translation, incorporates the book of Moses in its text. Chapter 2 of the book of Moses is what we find in chapter 1 of Joseph Smith's translation. Now, it's interesting to note that Joseph Smith, when he gives us this translation, and again, I have to say that word needs to be in quotation marks because it's not the word translation has been traditionally understood. What Joseph Smith basically does, according to the explanation that's on this lesson, it says that Joseph Smith did not employ Hebrew and Greek sources, lexicons, or a knowledge of biblical languages to render a new English text. This explanation in the lesson goes on to say, and I might mention this, this explanation is cited from a history gospel topic essay, 
uh, that deals with the Joseph Smith translation, it goes on to say that rather Joseph Smith used a copy of the King James Bible as the starting point for his translation, dictating inspired changes and additions to scribes. Now, Eric, it would seem that you have to automatically have an assumption that his changes are really inspired. Now, we know Latter-day Saints believe that because the Joseph Smith translation is otherwise known as the inspired version. So you see, here again, as I've been mentioning all this week, Joseph Smith, because he claims to be a prophet and because he's believed by Latter-day Saints to be a prophet, is allowed to say pretty much anything he wants to say, and you as a Latter-day Saint member must go along with it. That's why at the very beginning, where it says in this lesson, as you read what God said to Moses and to Abraham, ponder what he might also be saying to you. You have to assume that God did say these things to Moses and that God did say these things to Abraham, even though what they allegedly were told by God conflicts with what we have in the Bible. See, that becomes irrelevant. Who cares what the Bible has to say? We're going to go with what Joseph Smith has to say. So easily, the biblical text is cast aside in order to embrace what Joseph Smith taught. I think you're making a great point. The idea of translation, as you said, has a traditional meaning of taking from one language and putting into another. I went to seminary, so I did study Greek. I didn't study Hebrew, but our professor would never have accepted things that I would have just said, well, this is what it means. I guess I'm not a prophet. For the Latter-day Saint, they would say, well, Joseph Smith was a prophet, but if he doesn't know the languages, if he doesn't understand the nuances and the rules, certainly I guess you, you could suppose that God could give that to somebody, but we don't see that anywhere in the translation of the Bible anywhere. They always had to study those languages, but Joseph Smith didn't have to, to study those to be able to come up with some major changes that were put into his inspired version. And this same pattern, as I was mentioning this week, also goes on into the book of Abraham. And remember, that's, again, the opening line. What did God say to Abraham? Well, if you go to the link, and they do have a link to the Gospel Topics essay, Translation and Historicity of the Book of Abraham, when you go there, you'll find that the word translation is, is mentioned about 26 times in this article. But in the second paragraph, we see again something that's very telling. Bill, it, it says, The Book of Abraham was first published in 1842 and was canonized as part of the Pearl of Great Price in 1880. The book originated with the Egyptian papyri that Joseph Smith translated beginning in 1835. Many people saw the papyri, but no eyewitness account of the translation survives, making it impossible to reconstruct the process. Only small fragments of the long papyrus scrolls, once in Joseph Smith's possession, exist today. The relationship between those fragments and the text we have today is largely a matter of conjecture. Let me stop you there, because I think that's kind of stretching the truth. I think there's enough that is available today that we know what Joseph Smith allegedly was translating. I, I think when they say is largely a matter of conjecture, I think they throw that out there just to put somewhat of a cloud over the whole issue. 
to give, I think, the church some wiggle room on some of the problem areas of the book of Abraham. But go on and read the next paragraph. We do know some things about the translation process. The word translation typically assumes an expert knowledge of multiple languages. Joseph Smith claimed no expertise in any language. He readily acknowledged that he was one of the weak things of the world called to speak words sent from heaven. Speaking of the translation of the Book of Mormon, the Lord said, quote, You cannot write that which is sacred, save it be given you from me, end quote. The same principle can be applied to the Book of Abraham. The Lord did not require Joseph Smith to have knowledge of Egyptian. By the gift and power of God, Joseph received knowledge about the life and teachings of Abraham. And we only draw that conclusion because that's what Joseph Smith said. In other words, you have to take this leap of faith and trust Joseph Smith to be telling you the truth. Well, if you go down further in this essay, there's a subheading, Translation and the Book of Abraham. Joseph Smith worked on the translation of the Book of Abraham during the summer and fall of 1835, by which time he completed at least the first chapter and part of the second chapter. His journal next speaks of translating the papyri in the spring of 1842 after the saints had relocated to Nauvoo, Illinois. All five chapters of the Book of Abraham, along with three illustrations, now known as facsimiles 1, 2, and 3, were published in the Times and Seasons, the church's newspaper in Nauvoo, between March and May 1842. Now, the next paragraph is really telling because this is where we see the church make a course correction. And what I mean by that, is until this essay came out, most Latter-day Saints, at least the ones we've talked to, were led to believe that what Joseph Smith was translating off of this papyrus was an English rendition of the Egyptian text. But this next paragraph proves that not to be true. The Book of Abraham was the last of Joseph Smith's translation efforts. In these inspired translations, Joseph Smith did not claim to know the ancient languages of the records he was translating. Much like the Book of Mormon, Joseph's translation of the Book of Abraham was recorded in the language of the King James Bible. This was the idiom of Scripture familiar to early Latter-day Saints, and its use was consistent with the Lord's pattern of revealing His truths, quote, after the manner of their, referring to His servants, language that they might come to understanding, end quote. The important part of that passage was really the second sentence. The book of Abraham was the last of Joseph Smith's translation efforts. That's the first sentence. The next sentence, in these inspired translations, Joseph Smith did not claim to know the ancient languages of the records he was translating. There's the key word, inspired. In other words, you have early members of the LDS church all being led to believe that what Joseph Smith was translating was, as I said, the English rendition of the Egyptian text that was on the papyrus that Joseph Smith had in his possession. Scholars now prove that this cannot possibly be true. So what does the church have to do? It's kind of hard at this point to just reject the book of Abraham. <laughs> One reason being is a lot of their current doctrines come from the book of Abraham. So you can't just get rid of it, but you have to come up with some kind of excuse to help Latter-day Saints wrap their head around this and has, still have faith in the text as well as faith in, the, in Joseph Smith. So what do they come up with? This very clever little phrase, an inspired translation. 
What is an inspired translation? Basically, folks, an inspired translation is nothing at all because it defies how the word translation has been historically understood. When you throw in the word inspired, you have no way of verifying this. You just have to accept what Joseph Smith tells you. This is what we've been talking about all week, Bill, the circular reasoning. The reason that we should accept the book of Abraham is because Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. But we have no evidence, especially based on studying his life and looking at how he lived and uh, to, to think that he actually had communication with God, that he could come up with something that was completely different than what the papyrus actually said to come up with whatever he wanted and Latter-day Saints believe it because Joseph Smith said it to be true. What's frightening about this, Eric, is the red flags are so clear when you read this lesson. If you're paying attention, the red flags are so clear and yet Latter-day Saints are missing them and yet they're still going to be held responsible for this. They're still going to be culpable for the deception that they have embraced. You can go through this lesson, and if you take your time to really look at what's being said, you can see where the errors really are. And for a Latter-day Saint to just gloss over this and embrace what they've been told Joseph Smith said, I think is so dangerous, and it's just it's heartbreaking to know that a lot of faithful Latter-day Saints are going to believe a lot of what they're being told in this lesson when, as I said, the flags are there to show them that we have problems. And one of those huge flags is a topic that we're going to talk about in tomorrow's program. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.